Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, July 13th, and today, Teddy Schleifer stops by to tell us about Sam Bankman-Fried, the 30-year-old crypto billionaire who is starting to dabble in media and politics, and he's spending lots of money in the process. Teddy has the goods on who this guy is, what he wants, and why you're going to be hearing his name for a long, long time to come. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy hump day, everybody. I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer, who you may recognize by voice as the uh, gentleman who covered for me when I was on vacation last week. How was it filling in, Teddy? Did did you uh, have any hiccups? What did you learn? It was good. You know, there's the, uh, this, this is really an art form. And um, uh, every, every week that I get to fill in for you, Peter, I feel like I am just retracing the art that you do on a daily basis. Wow, dude. I am a mere understudy. Well, um, I am the Drew Bledsoe to your Tom Brady. One day I will get injured in a catastrophic injury and you will fill in for me and just become mm. the greatest podcast host mm. in American history. Thank you. Less handsome though. Thank you. Than Tom Brady, not me. Yes. <laughs> True. Um, we are going to talk about a gentleman named Sam Bankman Freed, who is uh, known also in wealth circles as SBF. He is a crypto billionaire and he has started to uh, dabble in politics, uh, running some, some might say, sort of like, you know, harebrained political campaigns uh, this year um, that have not been successful, but that doesn't mean he should be written off. He is one of the wealthiest uh, people in the world, in the country. And Teddy, where did this guy come from? Because yep. I feel like I am only waking up to him uh, in recent months uh, and you've talked to him uh, several times. And two, what is he interested in changing about this country? You're not wrong to sort of have this whiplash of never hearing about this person uh, ever uh, a year or 18 months ago and now suddenly hearing about him all the time. And, and it's not because we are obsessed with him as a character. It's just because he's been shot out of a cannonball and is now all over our culture, our politics, you know, our economy. Uh, earlier today, uh, I was walking back from lunch after getting some soup. Soup. Yes, I'm a big soup guy. There, there was a huge uh, poster of him uh, on a uh, on a bus stop that said like "Are you in?" and trying to encourage people to trade crypto through his company called FTX, and it's a photo of him. So like he he is very much leaning into the celebrification of himself. He talks to reporters a lot, like me. Uh, he he is interested in in being a character in our economy. But yes, eighteen months ago, no one knew who this guy was. So so the quick thumbnail sketch, and uh, and there's a ton to talk about him. He is thirty years old. He has kind of crazy hair, wears shorts all the time, like definitely is leaning into this image of like the crazy crypto guy who d is so, you know, devoted to his work and to his uh, plans that he has no time to comb his hair. And he's the CEO of FTX, which is this crypto company, which uh, you can sort of think of it as, a, as an exchange for people to trade cryptocurrencies. But what I focused most on are his political and philanthropic ambitions. He spent tens of millions of dollars already this cycle. Like he's one of the biggest political donors in the country right now. Probably his biggest political spend to date 
um, was he spent $13 million on a congressional camp primary in Oregon in, in May. And the guy got absolutely creamed. It was for a Democratic, it was a r- random race outside of Portland, Oregon. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's candidate lost. He's also spent $13 million or about here in California trying to get a ballot proposition qualified that would have set up a bureaucracy or a California state agency to prevent future pandemics. That ballot prop, I think last week or two weeks ago, we realized would not even qualify for the ballot. So that's $26 million right there that has been sort of burned. And his philanthropic work, basically Sam's main passion is trying to prevent future COVIDs. The idea is that Maybe America got kind of lucky with the fact that COVID wasn't quite as deadly as it could have been. And what if there is some future pathogen that infects every single person in the United States, every single person in the world, but is just more mm-hmm. deadly? That would suck. So he is very interested in these like, these existential risks, long-term risks, yeah. things like nuclear proliferation that could lead to the end of the world, things like a, a bomb that kills everybody or a pandemic that kills everybody. So it's sort of this right-brained, data-focused way to view the world. And Sam is actually willing to spend an enormous amount of money at a Uh pretty young age to try and get this done. He made his money in crypto. So he's new to the game. And I feel like a lot of big spending people from the tech universe bring to politics these, as you mentioned, sort of long view, long horizon, infrastructure problems, um, fixing democracy or fixing climate change or fixing immigration. I feel like the crypto universe has this patina of rebellious, libertarian, fuck the system, POV. Is he more in the former camp or the latter camp in your mind? Sam's political ideology, to use the term of art, is called effective altruism. It boils down to a utilitarian view of the world. And and to summarize it quickly, it's basically you know, like with the ways you uh, you decide, you know, whether or not something is good for society being what is the greatest good for the greatest number, which many people remember from that senior year philosophy seminar. Um, <laughs> it's basically a way of, hey, if I want to decide what to do with my $1, right? Should I spend it on a yacht? Should I spend it on a new computer? Should I spend it on a lobbying campaign to pressure Congress to prevent future fa- pandemics? You should basically make these mathematical calculations that assess the likelihood that this would help humanity. So if your $1 will make you happier on a yacht, that's great. But what if that $1 could save 0.63498 human lives? Then you should spend it on that. And if there's some other proposal that would save you know, 0.236497, then don't spend it on that because it's less. So it's all about ROI. And as I guess the critique of effective altruism is you end up trying to like do these mathematical calculations on these things that are absurd, right? What is the chance of a nuclear bomb ending humanity as we know it, Peter? Is it 0.01%, 0.02%? Cuz that's, you know, could mean you have twice the difference in impact in terms of the, the dollar you donate. So it ends up as this like ridiculous question of how much you can assume certain things to happen or what are the odds of these long tail risks. You talked about this house race in Oregon and I think this is instructive about what he's trying to do and where he's trying to, to move politics. Um, Oregon 6, I believe. Oregon 6, yeah. And this was a newly created district after the last census. Yep. And so just totally like tons of candidates jumped in, likely Democratic district. He spent how much money? 13 million, 12 and a half. Okay, 12 and a half million. So 
I just looked it up. So his guy, Carrick Flynn, that he was supporting, uh, got 11,000 votes. So what is that? Like, like $1,000 a vote, basically. <laughs> I did the same calculation a couple weeks ago. But yes, uh, yes, obviously the ROI, you know, for all that speechifying I just did about the, the theory of change here, yeah. like that's awful, right? I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not changing yeah, the yeah, world. Yeah. Uh, that's not a very, the expected value didn't work out. Here's where he feels similar to traditional donors and certainly tech people getting involved in politics. It's like he certainly has smart people around him and he's seeking out advice, but you know, it sounds like he lacked the appropriate touch here. Like he comes in, buys up all the advertising in inventory in this district, pisses off local Democrats, like outside money. It's an easy, especially in a progressive district, easy to be like, hey, this rich guy is trying to buy the seat. But why did he get behind this candidate, Carrick Flynn specifically? And then also the ballot initiative you mentioned here in California about creating like a, a pandemic prevention like office in California like yeah. what was he trying to do with both of these things specifically like I, like I just I'm just want to get into more about like what he cares about and what he's trying to do let's pretend that we are Sam for a moment you believe that Congress and California do not emphasize prevention for future pandemics enough Sam's view on Congress was basically if you had one congressperson who really cared about this issue more than any other issue, Maybe that when there's, you know, a ton of haggling in, on Capitol Hill about what gets cut in, you know, a big uh, omnibus bill, for instance, um, if you had the right person, just one person in Congress who was going to fight to the death for this issue, then maybe the $12 million you spent to elect a guy uh, could have 20 or $30 billion of federal funding come as a consequence of that person's victory. And that's what he saw in Carrick Flynn was Carrick Flynn is someone who he had never met before. Um, kind of interestingly, Carrick Flynn is someone who is also an effective altruist. So it's sort of like a this little kind of debate club of, of one person's the donor, one person's the candidate. I can tell you lots of the operatives around Sam Bankman-Fried are also effective altruists. So the idea was you elect one person, the ROI on that could be pretty huge. If you have any experience in Washington, you know that like just because you elect, you know, the 435th most senior member of Congress, like does not mean that person can somehow deliver $30 billion of congressional aid. So it's very easy to see this as, as naive, but that's the idea. Similarly, here in California, the idea was, well, if we can just, you know, spend $15 million and get this thing on the California ballot, maybe we can yield tens of billions of dollars in California state spending to prevent mm -hmm. future pandemics. It's easy, especially now that both these things have failed, to sit here and say that these were like very simplistic views of money and politics, but that's the big idea. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug 
for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This is the last question I want to ask you about SPF. Yes. Um, and I'm going to ask you about another S word, which is semaphore, semaphore. <laughs> it turns out that our pals Ben Smith and Justin Smith, who are starting a um, you know, nonpartisan global news brand, uh, they're building it with much buzz right now and hiring like gangbusters. It turns out that Sam Bankman-Fried is investing Correct. in semaphore. Why? And also, is is Semaphore trying to keep this a secret? I feel like you might have scooped that. Uh, we, we had a story a couple of weeks before the investment that Sam was basically talking with a bunch of newsrooms about ways to kind of put his agenda of effective altruism uh, into the bloodstream of, of media and of newsrooms across the country. And then the, and then this news came out about Semaphore. So I was not surprised. Um, you would not think that with the theory of change I just laid out that someone like that would invest in media, which, you know, the ROI on media is very nebulous. Like, what is the impact of a story? You know, like, no one really knows. So the idea what they see with Semaphore, and Sam hasn't disclosed exactly how much he's put into it, but um, the idea was, what if there was better reporting on kind of America's response to COVID? Or what if there was better reporting about just how likely it is that there's going to be some nuclear a fiasco that leads to the end of the world, right? Which is this long tail risk I was talking about. Like those are the sort of stories that um, I don't think Puck's going to cover, but if you were an effective altruist uh, and you wanted to see a publication write about those things, like Ben Smith's, you know, sort of sober-minded, globalist, internationally focused publication might be the right place to read those stories. And if those stories are published, who knows? Maybe there's some policymaker in Washington who does something about it. Obviously, these are all bank shots, right? Everything I've talked about over the last yeah, yeah, couple yeah. of minutes have been these bank shots. Um, and that is the bear case on, on Sam is that he's like almost trying too hard, too sophisticated with the move. And look, I mean, that's, that's what it means to do things differently, I suppose, is you have the old wizened hand saying like, who does this 30-year-old think he is? There's that, but I also am, uh, one reason I'm like hyped to talk to you about this is like, this guy's going to be around for a very long time. Oh, totally. And you, you're you on the ground floor of covering him and it's just interesting to see the maturation in real time of somebody who is going to be influencing the political system for a long time to come. Um, and, and to be clear, like, I mean, you might know different, but if he's investing in Semaphore and wants more coverage of like nuclear non-proliferation, like Ben and Justin are real journalists. They're not going to like take cues from him on what to cover and what not to cover, sort of like the post with Bezos. Like he doesn't, as far as I know, call up and say like, you need to cover this or that. Yeah. But just like investing in creating more coverage of a topic is, I assume, what you're talking about. And and we celebrate investments in journalism. <laughs> yes, I mean, lots of uh, 
uh, nonprofit or for-profit journalism investments are about finding yeah. the middle of the Venn diagram. It's, it's uh, you know, what types of things get covered. That's the sort of thing that funders have tons of influence over. And that's, that's not, right. that's not wrong. That's just kind of how these things go. Before I let you go, Teddy, um, I was uh, cruising through SBF's Wikipedia page. Uh, he went to MIT. He uh, likes baseball. He graduated with a degree in physics and a minor in uh, math. But one amusing thing I discovered was uh, he was in high school, went to the Canada-USA math camp. He went to math camp, which uh, I love because I feel like the kids who go to like math camp and debate camp and band camp uh, like end up running the world. So my question for you is, did you do an extremely dorky nerdy camp slash club in high school uh, because I did and I'm going to say what mine is but I want to hear what yours is first. Oh, I mean, I mean, I went to Jewish camps growing up which is like basically a uh, a rite of passage. I don't even know if that's even that nerdy. I mean, I feel like that is honestly where... Um, Every one of my Jewish friends went to Jewish summer <laughs> camp and talks about Jewish summer camp as like this... Like, like it's the most Incredibly formative totally, thing. Totally, totally, yeah. But you didn't go to like... A, you didn't do like a math club in high school or anything? I mean, I was, I was a debate kid as every reporter Debate? Is. Okay, fair. That's what I was getting at. That's what I was getting at. I did Battle of the Brains in high oh, school, man. which is like a quiz bowl thing. Uh, and, you know, I played soccer and did the high school newspaper. But the, the dorkiest thing is I did Battle, Battle of the Brains. We still talk to girls, you know, don't worry about sure, it. Sure, yeah, totally talk to tons of girls, um, prom king, all, all that stuff for sure. All right, Teddy, we'll see you soon. Thanks for covering this guy. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.